Hello and welcome back to Brain Dump. Thanks for tuning in once again. So uh, this week we have Jeremy Himes uh, and Jeremy and I go way back. Jeremy was actually the first person to introduce me to kickboxing. Uh, he used to take me and his son after school to train with, with him and the rest of the club. So uh, I owe him a lot on the sporting front. He's also a black belt himself and um, he grafts very, very hard for training um, and he's helped me prepare for multiple fights but he's also been incredibly generous and sponsored me for two of my world championship tournaments so yeah um, he's been a bit of a role model for me growing up uh, particularly how uh, he's also dyslexic and you know successful businessman so uh, that's really inspired me to you know overcome my own dyslexia so anyway without further ado this week we have Jeremy Hello and welcome. You're listening to Brain Dump. This is a podcast where we talk about life from the meaningful to the extreme. Cool. So, uh, thanks, Jeremy. Thanks for coming on the show. Oh, pleasure. <laughs> great um, to be here. <laughs> it feels what a so great, weird. great office you got here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Just looking around your office, it's pretty swanky but how do you feel like you just wanted to set it up like a like a living room style thing yeah no exactly i kind of um i've got a boardroom table over there that looks more like a dining room table um and these sofas around a coffee table um and i just kind of wanted more of a creative feel uh, that's kind of the way i work i, I work uh, more visually so i just wanted need a space to think mm. so hopefully that gives that off no definitely definitely um so what were your first sort of childhood experiences of business and you know the ethics of business world like what kind of insight did you have um i've got i suppose lots of different memories my first memories of business was as a kid going into my dad's offices um in the in the holidays he used to get up he was um he was a printer so he effectively used to put sticky tape on the on the back of the back of posters um and then they used to get put up in, in people's shops had a little factory in uh in the in in east london in the east end in london and i just used to go in there uh, on, on the holidays i was probably no older than seven or eight so that was my, my that was my first first sort of view of the world of business mm. um but i suppose my first trading uh, my first my first trading was when i was at school i used to buy buy some sweets from the sweet shop, you know, for like, I can't remember, 20p a bag or something, and then sell the sweets, individual sweets for about seven or eight p. No uh, way. So, uh, yeah, a little bit of profit there. So, is you, so you've always been relatively, like, business-minded, even from a young age? Um, um, I don't know. I mean, uh, you know, um, I suppose it depends on your definition of business-minded. I think uh, I'm not necessarily a conventional businessman with... Uh, mm. Um, uh, conventional sort of qualifications. So uh, uh, I've not really thought about myself like that. Just, uh, um, but yeah, just sort of different, different, different things. And do you think these early experiences, like going to dad's office and that, has shaped your business ethics today? Um, I think the um, I think the thing that actually shaped my ethics today, funny enough, was sort of experience later on. Uh, and ironically, it was being involved um, as an estate agent. So I left school at 15, uh, no qualifications, being dyslexic. 
um, and got myself a job as an estate agent in central London. Um, and that's sort of mid 80s where the recession was um, not the recession. Sorry, the economy was buzzing. Um, and basically uh, bedsits were being turned into um, developments overnight, palaces overnight. And um, just the stuff that was going on was unbelievable. I mean, when I say stuff, the, just the, the ethics were the exact opposite. There were no ethics. They had me as an estate agent uh, climbing up uh, trees, taking down boards. They had me uh, phoning up. Bearing in mind, it's my first job. I'm six, uh, 15, going on 16. They had me phoning up estate agents, booking appointments to go around to people's houses just so I could get the address. So the estate <laughs> agent would waste their time going round to meet me and I didn't show up. I'd have the address and then I'd go around afterwards and uh, knock on the door and see if these people would want to sell with uh, the estate agent that I was with. Um, and it was, a, it was a real, really ferocious uh, dog-eat-dog world and kind of it sucked me in and then chewed me up and spat me out at the end. And actually, I think I learned all my ethics from there on how not to run businesses, how, mm. how not to be. Um, but it also coincidentally, not, it was, so whilst it made me realize that's exactly how I didn't want to run a business, it also was my university on business acumen. And it, I think it kind of gave me a sharpness in business that I couldn't have picked up from a uni or anything else like mm. that. It um, became, made me aware, basically. Sure, yeah, no. Um, and you mentioned dyslexia now, that's something both you and me share. How do you think that's shaped you as a person? How, how do you think that's played a role in you know who you are today? Kind of job. So, um, certainly when I was at school, obviously a few years before you, <laughs> um, dyslexia didn't really exist, I was just thick, uh, <laughs> that's what I was labeled. In fact. I was always bottom of my class and I remember they had this great idea. Let's, they said, right, well, let's keep you down another year. So I was like, yeah, okay. That, Cause I'm, my birthday's in August. So I kind of, I could get away with that. Yeah, right? it wasn't too far. Um, um, and I thought, you know what, actually that'd be quite good. I've done this year before. So at least I'm not going to be bottom. And guess what? The following year, I was just bottom of the class again. It was like, God's sake. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I think um, part of me is always, uh, had it as a driver, the fact that I've been told that I won't amount to anything and I can't do this and I'm not going to be able to do that, um, which is always kind of like, I suppose there's always a part of me that wants to constantly prove people wrong. Mm. Um, but there's another part that um, once I realised that I wasn't stupid and that I, I just think differently to other people um, and I understand actually how I think can be advantageous. It's just understanding uh, what, what's going through my head and how to process that. I now believe that being dyslexic um, is my hidden superpower. Um, and basically, I, and, I said that, and I've said this on more than one occasion, honestly, I don't believe my business would be the business it is today if I wasn't dyslexic. Yeah, it's interesting because I often think that, because I've, you know, obviously I've done the whole uni thing and I've pushed university very far. And now I'm gone, no, I've, d I've done too much academia. I need, yeah. I need out of this. But secretly, I'm, I agree as well. Like I, I think in such a different way that I, I find solutions to stuff 
that a lot of people go hold on i never even thought of that and for me it's just like well that was the first thing that came to my head right no exactly and and kudos to you because i mean the thought of even doing a test let alone an exam honestly i i'm sitting here and just think about it my hands will sweat I, i i absolutely even today i haven't got my head around that i haven't managed to get my head around how to do tests or anything else like that um but um, so that's 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 really impressive. But I think one of the things that I've noticed is that and, and it happens very often, I'll I'll get asked a question. It might be in the boardroom or it might, it might be where, wherever I'll get asked a question. And, you know, a long time ago, I would just pretend and nod my head like I knew what was going on. But I don't I just I just tell people I don't I don't get it. And everyone else gets it. It seems like a really straightforward question. And I just do not get what what the question is. I just I can't. I can't see it, I can't think it, and my, and my mind's almost blank. And then I realised uh, what happens is then I ask a load more questions and piss probably a load of people off at the same time because people are, come on, you know, it's five minutes later, come on, we need to move on. But then what happens is is that um, I realise what I'm doing is is when I finally get it, I haven't just got that, I've got, I think what my brain has been doing is processing a lot of other stuff and instead of going from a to b my mind's going from a to z to w to x to b and then and i'm just getting more of a holistic picture of what's going on so then when i finally get it i'm exactly what you just said well what about this and what about that and could we do this over here and people are like hold on where are you going jeremy and they and they can't keep up with me so it sometimes it it takes a little while so i do find it really good i still i still personally struggle with it um maybe outside my business environment you know um people just get confused with what i say and i sometimes just get confused what people say and i do i do find it a struggle but in business i've learned to use it to my advantage it's interesting what you say there because i feel like i have the same thing where i get quite insecure or worked up by the fact that i have this you know disability when it comes to reading and writing but at the same time i really resonate with what you're saying about how when the, finally the penny drops it's i always used to think like i learned stuff like six months later yeah like it yeah. took me six months to learn my time shoelaces so, so much later than everyone else but then once you've got that founding information you can really like run with it yeah and, yeah it's yeah 100 so no, and i also i don't know about you i don't know but i tend to i think quite um I think in pictures more than anything else. Pictures, I feel like I think in pictures and emotions. So I'll, um, and I'll constantly have these pictures and emotions running around my head. And I say emotions about a certain thing that doesn't necessarily conjure up emotions, but I constantly feel it and see it rather than logically think about it, if that makes any sense. Oh, no, definitely. I, I find that YouTube has taught me more than anything else. Yeah, no, I've, I've I've missed that. I've missed that a bit. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> say that by like Orlando, um, you know, your ex school friend and yeah, my yeah. son. He's he's obviously um, you know, certainly as a kid was always on YouTube. But saying that, my two year old girl, Scarlett. She's just on YouTube, picking stuff up all the time. So it's, it's a powerful, it's a powerful, powerful tool now. Like it it, it's powerful. really going places. It is powerful. So, how did Property Consortium begin? 
uh, luck uh, sort of just kind of walked into it really. Really, <laughs> <laughs> I'd like to say I'd kind of um, sat down with the business plan and uh, wrote it all out and uh, um, you know done forecasts and and budgets etc. But it, it wasn't anything like that at all. Um, so um, I told you I was an estate agent. I got made made redundant as a, as an estate agent um, in 1991. Um, and I was on gardening leave, so I wasn't allowed to do any other estate agency. Uh, but it was at the time of the recession, so there were um, just the estate agents were had loads of repossessed properties coming up for sale. So I, um, I hired a tipper truck, and then eventually I bought a tipper truck and literally um, went around London clearing out these repossessed properties. My, a lot of my friends were estate agents, so they would give me these properties to clean. And, and and to clear the rubbish out. So literally, I'd hire a strimmer, cut the garden, clear out the rubbish. And some of the properties were, I mean, they were pretty revolting. They'd had squatters in, needles, projectile, vomit on the walls. It was, like, really disgusting. Uh, but actually, it was quite good money. It, it was better money than what I'd been earning as an estate agent. So I and, and the work was piling in. It was literally piling in sort of 12, 14 hour days easily. Then I was getting some friends to help me. Um, and it just sort of piled, it, piled in from there. And then I had an opportunity with a the corporate. They said, if you could go to the southwest, um, we'll give you uh, the entire region from Cornwall to, I can't remember where to like Wales, the whole of the, whole of the chunk. Um, but you'll need to do maintenance. So... I mean, I can't do maintenance. I couldn't do maintenance then. I can't do maintenance now. I literally give me a thumb and a, and a net, uh, 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 like a hammer and a nail. I'll hit my thumb. So <laughs> I love that. Yeah, like, I, trying to explain how to use a hammer yeah. and a nail is struggling already. <laughs> yeah, no, exactly, exactly. But you know what? You know, I've got a, a wife that's awesome at uh, uh, putting up stuff, and Orlando's pretty good at putting up stuff. And in fact, even my six-year-old boy is better than me at putting up stuff. So. So you you get you get you work uh, work around these things, but anyway, I knew sort of um, I knew it would force me to um, uh, employ someone. So I thought I'd come down here. If worst comes to worst, I'll pack it in and just become an estate agent again in London. Um, so I, I came down here f- um, and uh, went regional, and then employed some people, and then in 1996 um, went national um, and set up property consortium. Um, and that was the start of property consulting. So back then, it did repossession work. Um, and that's all it did until the um, economy picked up, repossession stopped, and I slowly drifted into doing insurance work. Um, and then sort of in 2000, I took on my first insurance client um, direct, an insurer uh, based in Stevenage uh, called UIA. Um, and, um, and they're a client today, and they have been ever since we've um, sort of had that as a continual continual contract all that all that time so they are like part of my dna um and um over the years i've just expanded the business to um offer more and more services um until now with sort of a full claims handling business um so yeah uh, as i say no no business plan but just kind of fed into it such a jeremy way like <laughs> <laughs> Like having known you from you know, such a young age, like uh, I, I really get how that works. Um, so, but yeah, having known you from such a young age, uh, I also am aware that you're a single parent while you're doing like all of this. <laughs> how the hell did you do that? I mean, the um, so yeah, I became a single parent when Saxon was four and Orlando was five, um, and ironically, 
I was uh, maybe one of the reasons why I became a single parent because I was maybe doing 12, 13, 14 hour days. I'm sure there are probably other reasons as well. But the point is, is um, I had a decision to make then um, when I um, found myself in a very fortunate position to being a, a single parent, the main carer of the kids. Um, and that was either I get a nanny in to look after them or I create a management team. I didn't think at the time create a management team, but I knew that I had to get a, I had to empower someone and, and a couple of people to do the job that I was doing. Um, and that, so that's what I did. I kind of created an, an MD and I created a, um, someone for the MD uh, underneath the MD. Uh, so it was a, a sort of mini management position. And I stepped away from the business and from going some like, you know, the hours that I was doing, I then had to drop down to like doing nine till three o'clock you know, to take the kids to school, pick them up, and then take loads of time um, on holidays when they were off. Um, although they came into the office a lot, but I also had to take a lot of time off. So for me, first of all, it was at let, it, it was kind of a, an honour. I mean, it's a, it's a phenomenal position to be in to sort of, you know, be in that position to be able to look after your kids. It's challenging and hard, so you've got to just overcome that and find different ways to deal with it. Um, so that's the way I dealt with it. And I've got to say, uh, without a doubt, if you say to me, what is the single point in your business career where you felt you expanded and you took off? It was at the point of becoming a single parent. Um, because, you know, you could interpret that to say, I spent less time in the business. Uh, therefore, it was much better without me. Um, so you could, you could interpret it that way, uh, which may be true. But also, <laughs> um, I think that owner-managers, that at that stage, I employed about 20 people and I was probably turning over a, a couple of million pounds. And I think, or maybe, maybe 30 people. And I think, you know, it's starting to be really busy, really successful. And I don't, and I don't think owner-managers in that situation think i know i'm going to take my foot off the gas i'm going to go from 12 hours to five hours and 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 and, and change it just doesn't happen and i wouldn't have done it unless i was forced but the point is is that i was forced to stop working in the business and i had to start strategizing on it and that was the single point where i was to i was able to scale up um and uh, start thinking strategically about the business so whilst it, I won't say it didn't have its challenge, of course it came with challenges, but actually it helped the business massively. I don't know if that makes any, any no, sense. No, yeah, it sounds like you, you worked smarter rather than harder. Yeah, 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 absolutely. I think it'd be wrong, it definitely had its challenges. So um, the hardest thing for me, and uh, the hardest thing for me was being at work full on, 100 miles an hour, being in the financial industry, uh, and then kind of leaving work at sort of 3.30 or whatever time it was. And the time it took me to go from the office to the school had to kind of like somehow transpose into uh, boss to daddy. And, and that, I found that really difficult. That, that, that was short, you know, my head was still in work mode. Um, and then vice versa, having to go from daddy mode to, 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 to being, uh, being a boss. Uh, so just the transition periods. But overall... Um, yeah, it was really good. Did you ever struggle with raising girls being a father? Um, yeah. You'll have to ask Saxon that. Um, I think um, 
less struggling to raise girls. Really good question. So maybe less. There was less struggling to raise to raise a girl, but probably harder for Saxon because I you only know what you know, right? Um, so you know, I I don't know about makeup and I don't know about styling your hair and I don't know about you know the you know the stuff that women do. And in fact, now I'm in a you know in a, in a, in a great marriage and you know I've got two more kids as well and I see my wife you know well the way my wife was anyway was sax later on and where the way I see my wife uh, with scarlet you see you see the mother daughter relationship that they have and in I do reflect and I think I just I couldn't give that to sax mm. you know um and I almost I'd like to have seen that before so maybe I could have tried but you don't know what you don't know so in reflection um I can see perhaps there's a lot of gaps um but I suppose at the time I didn't think that it was particularly difficult although I do remember one time we were on holiday and um it's not a big deal but we were on holiday and I suppose Sax was a bit of a tomboy really I suppose that's because just the environment that she'd grown up on growing up in and um we were on holiday and we'd met these this family and there were three daughters and we were all meeting up at the end of it. And Sax was like, oh, you know, have I got a dress to put on? So she, she didn't have a dress to put on. And then she was like, can you plait my hair for me, daddy? And I was like, oh shit, I don't know how to plait her hair. And today I still remember, I know it sounds really silly because she was probably only about seven or eight at the time, but I, I really, really regret and not understanding or sort of learning how to plan. And I don't know why I didn't learn, actually. I, I should have done. There's no excuse. Um, so when I look back at it, I, uh, I think there's probably, yeah, I think it probably was harder, but I didn't realise it at the time. I don't know if that makes any sense. No, yeah, totally. It makes sense. Um, secondly, or more like fifthly now, um, you also kickbox. And that you got me into kickboxing. Yeah. And like... like <laughs> And it's obviously been a huge part of who you are. Yeah. Um, so yeah, talk talk about kickboxing. So I mean, yeah, kickboxing is definitely a, 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 a it's been a massive part of my life. Been doing it for, um, I reckon, how old are you? So um, I'm t- yeah. I'm 23. So. Yeah. So over 15 years. Um, and um, uh, I remember when you come coming along with Orlando going going to the kickboxing. <laughs> I do remember. I do tell this tale as well, actually. How you know you used to come along, and you know you used to bounce all over the place, and obviously you were you were quite small and skinny then, and you used to you know used to spar, and you were all over the place like a little lamb, and just used to let you come in and tickle me and like go away and everything, and and I haven't sparred you for a long time. Now you know I've got to. I'd admit, like, you know, if I'm sparring you, I came over sparring you a couple of years ago, and it was just like, you know, okay, feeling a bit conscious about this. And he kind of like that, kind of like, crap, you know, you've got to be 100% full on, and you know, you're just going to end up playing with me a bit, and then you've just got to be so alert, otherwise, you're going to get kicked in the head. So, um, you know, and that's just that short space of time where you've got, you've gone from this sort of like bouncing little lamb to this like savage under was it under 17 under 18 world champion um so uh seeing your journey has been uh, uh has been awesome and quite inspirational um but 
um, yeah, for me, kickboxing's become a way of life. Uh, although, frustratingly, the last eight weeks, I haven't done any. Um, so, in fact, I haven't been to a class probably for about um, almost two years. Right? Uh, when I say a class, uh, uh, one, one with, with Mark, with the sharks. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Shout out to the sharks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I haven't been, because um, getting my boy to bed and Scarlett, my little girl, getting her to bed at the same time is such a task, bless his cotton socks, that I, I, I you know, I don't, that doesn't stop until about um, any, any time between 7.30 and 8.30, so I've missed the class. But Mark comes around and gives me private, private lessons, has done, so I haven't missed kickboxing, I've been doing it all the time, but just not in a classroom environment, which is a bit annoying because it means that however fit get you get, and I've been really working on my fitness, however fit you get, it's not the same as sparring. So, you know, you can get technical, you can get fit. Um, and I'd done that. I'd got my fitness had gone right up. Really good. And I went to a class and I just, I was really looking forward to it, to showing off my fitness and, 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 and how technically that was getting better. And actually, I did really disappointing in sparring. It was just like this, I don't even know why, because it wasn't hard sparring. It was just like a different environment and you get this adrenaline and it goes and it's just like all of a sudden you're more knackered than you should be. And Do you know what I mean? It's kind of like I was a bit disappointed. But no, I've done my knee in. Um, so I've got a ripped cartilage in my, uh, in my knee. Um, and it's fine. It's fine to walk, but I can't do any bouncing or any twisting. Um, and I haven't literally, I literally haven't kickboxed or done any boxing for about eight weeks and it's driving me potty. Um, um, I, cause I'd got into a really good routine of, uh, training four times a week, uh, maybe five times a week, uh, with Mark coming around at six o'clock in the morning, uh, getting up at five thirty, doing a 45 minute blast. Uh, I've got a gym at home, got some bags at home. Um, so yeah. And even if Mark wasn't coming around getting into a really good habit, I've got some digital stuff that's really cool so i've got i don't know if i've shown them to you before uh, yeah i've seen it, the trackers like the, yeah yeah and they they so not only do they um measure how fast and how how hard and how many punches you do but they also interact with workouts as well so you can benchmark your last workout uh it converts it into points so when you're doing bag work as you know if you do bag work and you're doing bag work on your own how can you measure how can you push yourself to get better? You don't know if you're doing better than what you were before. So now you've got, it's like running. It'll give you a score at the end and you know next time you need to beat it. Um, and I've also got a digital skipping rope, which is so cool. Oh, well, that um, sounds insane. So, but I haven't been able to skip for eight weeks. I've really, I've really got into skipping. So I was knocking out like, um, I mean, it, 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 it won't sound like a lot to you and it might sound like a lot to, to someone else, but I was doing like a thousand skips um, most, most mornings before my training session. Um, but it counts how many skips you do and it compares you um, with um, other people and it takes your daily scores and it gives you a weekly target and it puts you on a like how everyone's doing since they've had this digital skip and you can have competitions with other people it's really it's really sad but I need these I need, I need these things in my life to push me so I'd got into this really really fantastic habit of like doing if Mark wasn't coming around I was just doing bag work or I was doing loads of skipping and lots of gym stuff and um and now my knee's gone I haven't done any of that so basically what I've done for the last eight weeks is upper body weights so my legs feel puny my lungs feel like they're of a 50 year old which 
<laughs> I suppose they are really. Uh, so everything's gone uh, really bad, apart from my biceps and my chest, which are <laughs> out of proportion. Now. So that's all that matters, though, isn't it? So, <laughs> yeah. so um, yeah, training's gone out the window, but hopefully, I'm I'm, I'm going to get some uh, surgery done on that soon. So sort that out. Yeah, yeah. Well, best of luck with that. Yeah, but yeah, no, it's definitely a way of life. Oh yeah, and how do you think sort of uh, kickboxing has transferred to the rest of your life? Um, I sp- profoundly. I mean, you know, I I kind of uh, take the um, that ethos of martial arts and about how to fight into business, and I don't mean I like to beat people up or I'm aggressive. I mean it's kind of I think they're really similar. There's really similar parallels. It's a really, really interesting question. So if you fight, the worst thing you can do is get emotional about a situation. What we were talking about before, Conor McGregor gets people, gets under people's skin, not just to sell tickets, but to make them emotional. So they come out and they don't think properly. And it's the same in business. Um, it's the same, exactly the same in business. If you get emotional about a situation and you let, you let your emotions take over, You'll make wrong decisions. You'll make impulsive decisions that 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 won't be thought out properly, and I'll have the same consequences of going into a fight, all emotional. Uh, likewise, you need to train for a fight. You need to get into the zone. And you need to do that when you've got projects on at work. You know, it's exactly the same. Um, so there are there are like there are so many parallels <laughs> that I can uh, relate to with fighting um, and uh, uh, and business. No, I, I completely agree. I find that uh, I've also learned that when you put in a lot of graft and you, you continually do a habit that is kickboxing, which is also a really hard one, you, uh, you learn that you can graft at anything. Like, I found that just what has taught me more than anything else is consistency and persistence will go get you really, really far in life. Yeah, no, I couldn't agree with that more. No, that's... Uh... What's what do they call it? A neuropath. You you tread a neuropath in your in your in your, in your brain. Mm. Um, that's 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 what you're saying, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. Um, so how has having a a new family, as it were, yeah. changed your life? Um, has it changed my life? I'm not sure. Um, so uh, first of all, like having to. I mean, I love being a dad. Full stop. Yeah, without a doubt. Um, and having um two more has been amazing. Um tiring you know um definitely no more um but you know one it really helps because um orlando and sax um uh, um they come back a lot and they you know they're really close with harry and scarlet um i mean harry adores orlando he's like you know and orlando even though he's 22 and harry's six you know orlando still plays the you know, big brother card and, 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 um, and the same with, um, Saxon and Harry and Saxon Scarlet. It's, um, you know, it's really, it's really amazing to see. Um, but it's great. And it's kind of, what's really, what's, I mean, obviously, obviously I was, I'd like to think I was there for the older two without a doubt. Um, and I'm sure that maybe they'll challenge some of that. Uh, maybe I was on the phone a lot at home trying to do, trying to work, <laughs> but, um, what, I am so acutely, so acutely aware of, um, and and it's something that I really try and manage and hold on to, is that because I've done it before, I absolutely know how fast it goes. And I'm not, I'm not saying one minute they're two years old and then they're 22. But that that does happen fast as well. But 
I'm really acutely aware of way before that of them being two, four, six, and then seven, eight, and then all of a sudden they're you're the most important thing in their world. Then all of a sudden, actually, and you're not that cool anymore, or your relationship changes in some really great ways, and other things are not the same. So I just you know, having done it once before, I really understand that time is massively precious. Um, so, you know, I, I do work and I do work quite long hours sometimes. Um, but I will always definitely um, really try and make that time. Hence why I won't go kickboxing as much. I love kickboxing. You know, there are three passions in, in my life. My work kickboxing in my family not necessarily in that order <laughs> um, but they're the three things that are most central to, to, to my life but you've got to prioritize some over the other but that's what I do so the, my whole training thing is is I want to base it around my kids so I don't want to miss out on the kids so then I won't train at night because I want to I want to be able to put the kids to bed because that's a time that you know a precious time right and I know that I can't do that much longer with my oldest, my, 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 with Harry. Um, and that's why I train at six o'clock in the morning. I train at six o'clock in the morning. So bless Mark, he gets up at 5.30. I get up at 5.30 and he comes around to my house. Um, but I train at six o'clock in the morning because everyone's asleep. It's not that I like training in the morning. I hate the mornings, but I like to train in the morning. So the time I finish training at 6.45, everyone's still asleep. I come back in. I haven't missed anyone. I haven't missed breakfast. So um, to answer your question, it's just I'm just um, really acutely aware uh, and really grateful for, to be able to do it again. Not only are you juggling kickboxing, being a parent, you've now launched another social enterprise. Or a well, social no, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I haven't got any other ones. So yeah. no, um, yeah, uh, 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 um, this chap Shane uh, from his company's the uh, the Ideas Bureau. A website developer in Taunton. We've been talking for the last couple of years with a couple of other sort of key people around Taunton and the council about how to uh, get people engaged more on a digital basis. Um, and kind of we've been talking and talking, and the council originally set it up, and and, and um, we had lots of meetings, and um, it didn't really go anywhere. Um, for a while um and then shane and i and a couple of other people kind of reduced numbers and just got a bit gritty with it um really tried to understand what we were trying to achieve um and which is really simple the the purpose of digital taunton as you say it's a social enterprise it's a community interest company which means that it's set up to um support the um it's non-for-profit and it's set up to support the uh, community um, and it's basically saying, look, there's loads of good digital businesses out there. Yeah, some that have, uh, people would not have heard of. And, and if you add those two digital businesses, if you can get them to meet each other and add them together, you know, what you're doing, podcasting. Yeah. So let's say you meet, get a podcaster and you introduce them to a blogger. Yeah. Um, and, you know, put them together. How can they help each other? You know, maybe become more powerful as a, as a digital business. But you don't stop there. You then go to the rest of the community that don't have any digital plans at all. You know, there's a lot of businesses without any digital, there's a lot of businesses that sadly think a digital plan is getting a website, right? And that's it. 
But we're saying to those businesses, look, hang on a second, you need a digital plan. If you don't get a digital plan, you're probably going to be irrelevant in the next five to 10 years time. Um, and, you know, you don't need to buy anywhere else. You've got the inspiration of like the talent in Taunton. Um, and, um, and there's so much talent in Taunton. So basically what we've done is we've started um, putting on... Um, monthly we're on our third one at the moment uh monthly conferences talks um and um these talks have been hugely successful i've got to say um shane has been the institutor of it, 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 it like the main the main person behind that he's had a lot of contacts in the community um and we've been really fortunate to find a home for digital taunton um so we host our events at a place called company which is underneath it's in Taunton underneath um, a nightclub, which I can't remember. Uh, was it? Was it? All right, I'm going to go Come through. Come on, go, just, go through the... So there's Fever. No. Mambo's. No. Zinc. Zinc. Is it that one? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so so companies are really, really cool. It's basically a, 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 a digital hub space, um, and it's really cool in there, and the guy that owns it, John's a really, really nice guy, um, and he's basically letting us um, um, use that place for nothing um uh last thursday of every month uh so we've had three events and uh the first event attracted about 50 or 60 people second event attracted 80 the last event attracted uh 95 people which was a sellout um and we had people on the waiting list um and we've just got some really we're finding some really cool speakers really like really interesting people so so last month we had um a podcaster um who wasn't a professional podcaster uh russ i can't remember his last name but russ he a fan a family planner uh um that that does finance um and to boost his business he started podcasting and and he's done you know and it turns out he's now done 50 podcasts and he's had three hundred fifty thousand downloads and he just gave advice about how to set that up and how that can really help boost your business and it's really fascinating really really cool really good speak and then there was um slummy yummy uh mummy um which is a pretty cool name and she's a professional blogger um and um i think i've got the title right no it's not slummy yummy mother it's definitely not <laughs> slummy slummy single something i think it's slummy single mummy <laughs> really sorry <laughs> but she's a she she's got like over a hundred thousand followers um and she's based in taunton um and then she was giving her she basically gets given uh um products to try and products to cars to, to to have and um she's just explaining about how all the blogging she does and how she got started and just basically giving the the audience advice on 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 how to and how to do that um and then in a couple of weeks time um as i say it's the end of the third last thursday in the month uh we've got two really cool speakers speaking again so we've got um a lady speaking who is a, a, a professional journalist um and also she is a script writer for indie games as well um and um you know she's she's speaking really looking forward to that speech um and there's this other guy um uh who i don't know if you know where roadwater is um so roadwater is between sort of watch it and Minehead. it's in the back of beyond and it turns out that this guy um employs about 40 developers 
he makes robots and sells them all over the world with China like being his, his like main customer. Uh, and he's got an office somewhere in the States. I think it's San, San Francisco. So these, these, these like all sorts of different digital companies, you know, um, and, and they're all doing really cool stuff. And it's just getting people talking to each other. So yeah, it's really exciting. Um, it, it feels like there's a bit of a, we've created a bit of a revolution in Taunton a digital revolution and we're looking to uh capitalize on that and um the plan over the next couple of months is to start putting workshops together getting people to um uh, help us put those workshops uh, together we just want to facilitate good conversation and people buying products off of each other um so yeah really exciting yeah it sounds incredible um we'll yeah. have to get you to speak there oh, so. <laughs> yeah, I'll whip up some brain dump yeah 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 exactly 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 yeah, it sounds fantastic. Well, thanks so much for coming on the show, Joe. Yeah, I really, pleasure. really appreciate it. It's so kind oh, of you. It's been, it's been good fun. <laughs> Cheers. Cheers. Cool. So, uh, yeah, that does it for this week. I hope you enjoyed the episode. Thanks again for tuning in. Um, questions are still... Uh, being fired left, right, and center for the uh, AMA. So if you want to submit one, just either drop me a message or just fill in the Google form. Um, so the uh, next episode will be with Alex Shaler, a life coach. So that'll be interesting. I hope you guys will tune in for that one. Um, but until then, keep active on the uh, Facebook page. And uh, if you have any topic requests, just let me know. Till next time. Cheers.